0: Hey everybody, this is Ari in the Air, thanks for being here. So, I was in Mexico at this bike race earlier this year, and I was filming it, right? So I was in the media truck. The truck would drive way up the hill, but the racers, they had to ride up the hill some days. And on this particular day, we were doing three stages, and we get to the top of stage three, And these stages are like, you know, a couple thousand feet of vert each, and the riders have to ride up, race down, ride up, race down, ride up, race down. Well, I get to the top of stage three in the truck, and I know that I am just way ahead of all of the racers, because obviously I'm in a truck, and they are not. And I get my bike out and get everything situated, and right behind me comes riding up this racer. And I say, oh, I think to myself, oh, God, this guy's lost. He missed stage two, and he's just all the way up here at stage three. I look at him. He's got a huge smile on his face. I say, hey, what's going on? Did you skip stage two? He says, no, it was great. This person is Dylan Osliger, and he is a savage. He is crazy, crazy fit, and he is very, very humble and very nice, He's a scientist, a snow scientist, a mountain biker, a skier, a climber. We have a lot of things in common. We sat down as we ate tacos after the race, and we talked all different things, all things environment and politics and society. And so I knew that he was a person that I would love to hear his thoughts on Uh, in a longer context and so today i want to bring that conversation to you i appreciate dylan for his time on this conversation in this conversation what do we talk about we talk about wonder we talk about appreciating nature we talk about how to get people to appreciate nature so they'll take better care of it so many things dylan's a super awesome guy he's got some really insightful things to say here so without further ado we'll listen to some music I'll drop you into the conversation with Dylan. Enjoy. Okay, Dylan, thanks for being on the podcast. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about the sports that you do and how they kind of bridge you into the bigger conversation that you want to curate?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm super stoked to get to chat with you finally um, for a little longer duration than we've had to <laughs> since uh, leaving Mexico. Yeah. But yeah, a little bit about myself. Um kind of just been I hesitate to use the word consummate um, because I'm relatively nascent in so many sports just in the grand scheme of things but I've been doing a variety of sports for well over a decade if not two decades and those range from mountain biking to gravel cycling to backcountry skiing, ice climbing, rock climbing, uh, highlining, uh, surfing, kayaking, fly fishing. Really anything that allows me to be outside and connect with a landscape in some way um, has always just fascinated me um, and drawn me in. And I think on the on the counter side to that, trying to follow academia um, from the sense of better understanding how I connect to all those places has really enriched all of those sports. And so getting, I mean, the degree is really don't matter at the end of the day. I think it was the, the time spent reading and understanding how the world works from a quantitative sense and applying it in a qualitative sense in a way of seeing the world around me um, and just making every trip outdoors a true adventure, you know, from a thought perspective and a physical perspective. Yeah, so. and,
0: and what are those degrees?
1: Uh, Yeah, I have uh, undergraduate degrees in snow science. So that's, uh, it's a funny degree to have. Um, It's mechanical engineering, but with a focus on how avalanches work um, with an earth science focus on how meteorology plays into snowpack um, with uh, kind of a thermodynamics and a hydrology sense as to how snow is important on a larger scale. Um, I have another undergraduate degree in geology. Um, and then minors in hydrology and uh, astrophysics, which was a mistake as an undergraduate, like a true mistake. I, I took that course by accident and it led down a path of interest. <laughs> um, and then uh, a master's degree in earth science, which really focused on geology and soils. Uh, snow science, I was up in Southern California, Eastern Sierra is a good amount. Um, and so that's lessly a strict degree about what you know, but what you can ask questions about.
0: Wow! So, yeah. Quite a quite a resume there, Dylan. Quite <laughs> a know, resume. I,
1: yeah. Okay. I'm, the degrees okay. are great, but
0: yeah. Okay, I'm curious as to what kind of things you're doing on a daily basis, or on a you know when you go on trips or when you go outside. How are you incorporating this earth science? I'm gonna use earth science as just like kind of a broader, uh, like a broad term for all of this stuff that you're doing. Um, How are you integrating that earth science into your activities, your travels?
1: Yeah, no, I think the use of earth science is like a perfect way to uh, encapsulate everything in the sense that really the degrees are less so a, a way of knowing things and going out with an encyclopedia of knowledge. But really, it's just a way to ask questions and find pieces and logic that come together to answer those questions. And so, really, when I go outside, um, whether it's backcountry skiing, obviously the snow science comes to the forefront with, you know, when I'm testing snow pits for avalanches, there's a sense of quantitative, direct knowledge that is imperative to making sure I make safe and logical choices. But at the same time, it's looking at the landscape as I tore uphill and seeing swales and rolling hills along a landscape. And without even testing them, knowing in my mind where the snow is loaded, where that powder patch might be because I can see the rhyme on a tree, which rhyme is when wind picks up snow and kind of layers it onto one side of like a pole like object, like a rock or a tree or Um, I mean, those are the big ones, but, you know, maybe just a metal pole in a city, you can see the predominant wind direction, and you can look at a landscape in front of you and know exactly where those big pockets of snow are going to be, where those pockets of potential danger are going to be, or where it might be way thinner than what you think. Um, Beyond that, you know, when I go and ride my bike down old Forest Service roads or uh, some old decommissioned single track, just looking for traces, like maybe an ermine, has left some tracks under the snow, or, um, you know, brushed some branches aside. You might see overgrowth on an old forest service road, and think about how long it's been since it was decommissioned, and how fast the ecology, the flora, re-overtook what man had destroyed, um, or imprinted upon it. Um, I think, you know, there's so many examples of how I can think about it from just seeing rocks while rock climbing, and um, understanding exactly what I'm looking at but I think more so it just makes me feel ingrained into and part of a whole larger system and it just enriches that feeling and it makes me slow down and think about what's around me mm. um, so yeah I mean it has I like that I like this but yeah
0: yeah I really like that idea that the more you learn and the more you learn how to ask better questions, the more connected you actually feel to any given landscape. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what you think of, what do you think our need is? Humanity or even just culturally in the outdoor industry. What do you think our need for perspective shift is in regards to how connected we feel to places? And furthermore, what is the What do you think like the ideal perspective is for that 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 takes us forward from uh, Into a
1: more sustainable paradigm Yeah, totally. Um I think in a large part um, all of the focus on competition or on training to the utmost degree um, or just really getting outside and expecting a bang for the buck has really put us all in a mindset even in the outdoor industry of seeing outside places as having a utilitarian value Mm -hmm. like there is a use value to all of these places Um, but really I really want the idea of trails or backcountry access or an open access beach to go surf to transcend its categorization within our minds and the culture overall, instead of just being simply a commodity or a resource that we are using. I mean, no matter how you put it, we are using it as a resource in our minds, but seeing it with intrinsic value or rather just kind of natural value for just being what it is. You know, I think the consideration of people thinking about soil or ecology or geology really is just stands as an enabler to start a discussion to really understand why these places exist and how much they mean to us by just existing and presenting the opportunity for us to go outside. And I mean, we could talk about the mounting calamities of, you know, an increasingly broken biosphere and um, an earth system as a whole, but I think more so the relationship between trails and all these outdoor spaces and the environment and just making people feel connected increases everyone's appreciation and connection, um, to a place, um, you know, and from that you can move forward and talk about an entire process and see how the trail builders and the industry and the lawmakers and the bureaucracy and the consumers are all connected and rely on just this place being itself.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. And what do you think? are some of the tools that we have to changing people's perspectives as to how connected they feel to any given place?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think think foremost, I think education is a huge tool, but it doesn't have to be in the sense of people reading books or forcing facts down their throat. And, you know, worse so, I think just the, the constant negativity of people talking about um, you know, too much plastic in the oceans and a warming climate. And I think that um, overwhelms a lot of people and just they find solace in, in hiding away from that and just going back to their outdoor sport and appreciate it just simply because it's their sport. Um, I think that the outdoor industry has a huge opportunity to make itself more honest in how it connects to what it uses. The outdoor industry as a whole uses wild open public spaces as a function to make their profits. And them starting to educate people with, it may be facts at first with their product, but more so just the ability to ask questions, to encourage people to realize that quantitative knowledge or not, every single one of them is a scientist because they can ask questions, they can observe, and they can make relationships between things and start to piece together small relationships that make up a macro network and see landscapes for themselves. I think really the, the way to get there is by outdoor companies and people, storytellers, to start incorporating small notices of and just admitting to people about what they see while they're outside rather than just focusing on races or on results um just letting people see that no matter your background you can make these relationships is what makes them special mm.
0: the observational relationships
1: yeah yeah the exactly.
0: relationships between the wind direction and what side the snow sticks on the tree
1: yeah and i think that makes it even more so because you look at that and you know where the big stashes of powder are and you might hit those stashes of powder that day and appreciate it immediately but say you're a you know a fisherman or you're just curious how a landscape changes over a longer geologic time you know where most of the water is gonna become from all the snow from all the melted snow and you know where the streams are gonna run in their hardest and where those tributaries might come in and create rapids in your favorite river that that's a tributary for and the kayaking might be better you know that water might flow out to a farm and you better understand your food sources yeah it's really just the observation and yeah. seeing the larger scale
0: i love that i want you to expound on the idea that you mentioned that outdoor industry brands have a responsibility and to admit that they are that their m- model is based on I don't want to say exploiting, I don't think you said that, but using public lands.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I mean, I I totally agree with what you just said with using public lands. I mean, you can look at Patagonia's recent campaign on Bears Ears and they took a step up and were straightforward about protecting a place um, and making their voice heard, even if it was unpopular. Um, And that took... A lot of foresight and forethought on their marketing team and uh, on their management to just throw it all to the wind and know they were going to take a hit for it, but also know that they were going to ingrain their loyal customers. Um, every single company I can think of uses public space in their advertising, um, whether it's on Instagram or um, yeah, I mean Patagonia itself. Like that was a marketing ploy for sure, mm-hmm. but these companies either need to put their money back into these places. Like you can see Santa Cruz bicycles um, is putting a million dollars toward trail maintenance um, and building now for the next couple of years. And that's huge in going forward. And I think that's accepting some of the responsibility of what they owe to making a place better because they're using it to, to sell their product. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also deep down, they're making more things. That's just a fact of when you're a company, you are utilizing plastics or you're utilizing metals and energy and you are creating things and there needs to be a direct purpose as to why you're doing that. I understand if it's as simple as you have a design and a beautiful piece of art that you want to put out into the world. And anything can be art, you know, like a bicycle frame. Look at IBIS hiring legitimate artists to make their frames and they're gorgeous. But when you're taking that responsibility of putting a lot of what could become trash out into the world, I just want to see a a larger purpose for it all. Um, And that purpose can be as simple as really putting the money that comes back into your business out into educating people and enriching their lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I love that idea, but I also want to back up just a minute and and I want to hear why there's a need for these brands to put money back into these places. What's wrong with these places as they are, as they're being used?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think that every place necessarily needs money thrown back at it i mean there is some maintenance that needs to occur i mean the the fire regimes in the u.s right now aren't really at a natural state um
0: what do you mean regimes
1: um, so fires and if you look if you look before humanity really starts settling into forests forests burn naturally and they require undergrowth down there they don't require they they self-regulated They would burn large swaths and then regrow from their undergrowth. Look at a pine cone. Most pine cones only release their seeds when they reach a certain temperature. That's only reached during fires underneath the tree Mm -hmm. to repopulate and um, for forests to go through their cycles. And so regime is just a way of talking about kind of generalizing all forests because forests, depending on if they're deciduous or um, conifer or otherwise they all have different kind of timescales at which they usually burn and regrow and um, repopulate. But I think the, the big thing here is that there's research that needs to be done in these wild places to understand how we can treat the earth better, um, how we can kind of make things last long-term. And I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it's true in that like a lot of public land is being stripped from people Um, whether that's a result of people wanting to close off beaches for their private community, um, which I saw along the Santa Barbara coastline, or, you know, a result of, um, I mean, there's so many bears ears, you know, selling it off to oil and companies or selling off, you know, mountain bike trails in Bellingham to logging companies. There's places that money from the outdoor industry can go and, Make our voices heard. Um, mm-hmm. Protect our winters is doing a good part of that. But capitalism is a huge driving force as to where money needs to be injected for our voices. Um, and that money is you know, largely held in this huge billion dollar, multi billion dollar industry that is you know, the outdoor recreation uh, industry. Mm. So, yeah. I'm um, curious.
0: I guess what comes up for me there is there's almost this irony where affluent recreators who are the consumers of or high level consumers of fossil fuels then object when new fossil fuel extraction projects are proposed.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that a hypocrisy that occurs so frequently in the outdoor industry, trying to put off these notions of being climate positive or climate friendly. And they might be making strides, but I think that's really why I say that there needs to be a justification for why your product and why your company exists beyond just making money.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I think a big thing here is after traveling a lot of the world and I mean, right there I can talk about, you know, I've taken a lot of planes and uh, I've driven a lot of miles more so probably than your average person some year to chase down mountain bike racing or chasing storms on skis. Um, and I've done my part in contributing carbon to the atmosphere and I try and think more about that now. But I've really noticed that when you talk to people and you go and see different places and ride different trails or surf different breaks, um, everything has an interconnectedness and so many small similarities. And always in my mind, there's this tick that's like, oh, this place is like this other place or this place is like this thing at home. Even if it's not identical, they share enough to be similar. And really to me, that suggests that maybe there aren't really inherently special places but rather they're only places that are made special by the relationships that people sustain with them. And if you think about it in that sense, like all places on earth are equal and identical, but they're really just waiting only to be known. And I think companies do an amazing job of exposing these places in the sense of sending rad athletes to do really cool things on camera. And people are like, wow, look at that person's athletic ability. And in the, maybe they have a second thought and they're like, look at that stunning landscape. And I think drones have done a huge job in um, showing landscapes. But there's that responsibility in these films where I can count on a single hand how many films I've seen at Banff in the last couple of years that really brought up the environmental or the ecological or geological or just a single aspect of a landscape that makes it, special and makes it worth knowing for people to go there and it doesn't even have to be earth sense it could be culturally um it could be the small villages or the people that make a place so worth visiting and supporting um, and not drowning out but not suffocating but just providing that appreciation for places
0: Hmm. okay i guess I really like that and I want to bookmark what your vision is here because I know that the next logical step in that conversation is what What are these things you want to create. But I want to step back just 30 seconds into your last uh, paragraph there and as I asked you what, I, what you thought the appropriate relationship that people should have to their places, I also am curious as to what you think the appropriate relationship that people should have to their impact is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: it's kind of a big one, I know, because like yesterday yes. I cleaned out my knife drawer that I used to, or that I still put plastic bags in so that I can reuse the plastic bags. But the plastic bags come into my life at such a rate that every number of months I am left with this useless drawer that is overflowing with plastic bags. And I do my best to mitigate that at the grocery store by taking my jars in and filling them up with bulk items and, and all these different things. I try to buy produce that doesn't have any wrappers and all this stuff, but I still find myself overflowing with these useless things that I am yet to find a way around. And so I'm curious as to what you think the appropriate relationship that I should have or that people should have in general with the impact being inside of the system as it is.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. And I, I often have the exact same issue, um, from yeah, grocery bags and excess plastic coming into my life. Um, all the way down to owning way too much outdoor gear. I mean, I look at my garage and I go through my closet and um, I I laugh way too often about not being able to find that one piece of gear because it's buried mm-hmm. underneath every other piece of gear I own for all these different sports. And sometimes, I mean, just today I was talking about Nordic skiing and um, we're gathering up all this gear to go out for, you know, a simple four hours. And I'm just like, wow, like, why isn't this like running where I just need a pair of shoes and some shorts and off I go into the wilderness. Um, and I didn't even need to drive. Um, I think what you're doing is absolutely correct in the aspect of thinking about your impact on the sense of recognizing all that you have. But I think what you're getting at here and what I really appreciate is when people are, connected to a place. When they have relationships to a place, they care about that place. If you asked most people about where they donate their money into the outdoor industry or to the outdoors in general, most of the time their donations are going to come to something local or they're going to go to a specific cause. I mean, you can look at the Amazon or um, Protect Our Winters talking about snowpack and like pinpointing glaciers or whatever else cause they're going to, there's usually a specific place and usually it's local to them with a few odd examples. Um, But I think people need to look and create relationships with landscapes as a whole. And it's fine if it's gonna be local to themselves. And it's great that they're thinking about their minor impacts like plastic and microplastic use and um, recycling gear and donating it, Um, maybe not buying that new piece of gear every year. Um, But I think it's really also large scale. It's thinking about why they're doing things. Like, why are you outside? Are you creating relationships with a natural place? Are you out there just to make a name for yourself and to compete? And that's fine if that's the case. If it's for fitness, if it's for living a healthier life, that is a valid reason. Um, But does that need car travel every day? Does that need plane trips? Does that need Do large races need to occur all the time where, I mean, I go out after races around Lake Tahoe, which I call home, and I find tens, if not hundreds of goo packets or bar wrappers or, um, you know, all the detritus that races and events leave behind Um, did that movie premiere need to have every single person in the movie fly to each movie premiere to show that ski film in Denver and Salt Lake and Tahoe and Mammoth and San Diego? Probably not. Um, And so I think when it comes down to the individual, it's really thinking about small impacts, but also large impacts. And beyond just shortening your own enjoyment, it's about voting with that kind of stuff in mind. It's about putting money into... Organizations and, um, I mean, organizations and goals and missions to make things better, to preserve wild spaces, to cut down on logging. So I think there's a lot of responsibility and it's, it's such a deep and broad question. I think there's so much that you could dig into there on a variety of scales, but I think at, at the end goal of everything, and for me, the one problem I can picture tackling is when you make people closely associated with nature, while they might be most closely related to their local mountain bike trail or their local surf break, it makes them think every time they visit somewhere new. Mm. And as that starts to build up, they start to realize a larger impact on all these places, and it makes them think back and cut back their use. Maybe they start using less plastic bags or they start taking jars to the grocery store, but really they start taking less Like last time I went, I think this big thing that just came to mind and I've thought about this prior, prior, but um, last time I went to outdoor retailer, every single booth wanted to give me a tote bag that cost them 10 cents to produce or a pen with their brand name on it or a buff to go around my neck that has their logo printed on it. And I went through one of my sock drawers the other day and pulled out easily over a dozen buffs that I'd had from different companies. I need one buff, but it's these freebies and it's this always needing culture that it took me so long to realize that it doesn't need to be there. Um, and I think back to my last outdoor um, recreation company event, and the absolute best freebie I was given was a toasted peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, and that company, like, that was a company where I'm sponsored by their direct competitor, and yet I still feel like I have an absolutely close relationship and a care for that company. I think they're Mm. doing the right thing off of that one small gesture Mm. because it made me think about my impact and all that I was taking from these tables that is just wasted junk and ends up in garbage piles in the Pacific. Uh Um, So it really is just about lessening one's need, which is easier said than done and isn't how the outdoor industry operates, obviously. Yeah, well-
0: Yeah, those are hard things, you know, and I feel like there's a difference between the one thing that I want to bring up here. There's a difference between the sentiment of sustainability or the sentiment of lessening your impact and uh, objective reduction in impact. Because the reality is that waste is not created when it goes in the landfill, right waste is created when the product is created it might sit on the shelf <laughs> for a decade but the waste is there its end destination is the landfill right yep so buying it or not is tough because the virgin resource has been extracted the chemicals have been rearranged and now we have this thing and yeah it's um that I I agree, voting with your dollars, maybe we can slow down how those things are created in the future, but um, it's a very complex issue that I feel like how we have an objective impact on it might be more difficult to ascertain rather than how we feel about it. And I feel like how we feel about it is going to have a bigger impact on our ability to make an impact than chasing our tails as to uh, what exact thing we're going to do about it. Yeah. No, but, I would, I would, uh, yeah, totally agree with that. But I digress on that. And I do, I, I, I appreciate your sentiment on that. And I want to hear the kind of things that you have in mind that are in your vision that you would like to bring to the conversation. What are the things that you want to bring to the conversation? Or in general, what's the conversation missing? How do you want to show up inside of this conversation? What kind of topics do you want to bring? What kind of nuance do you want to bring? And what kind of projects do you want to do it with?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I think first off, like I think the, the last thing we talked about with consumption, um, one thing I definitely want to avoid um, is this idea that I've caught myself in far too many times where there's these quiet, wild spaces and I think about them and I'm like, wow, like I am one of the few people that can get out here and enjoy this place. And then I go back and I think all these thoughts about not wanting it to blow up, not wanting the spot to blow up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel, often feel terrible about that in the sense that, like, I don't want any outdoor sport to be exclusionary. I want there to be enough product and I want the price to be low enough, which comes with high quantities and volumes um, for everyone to enjoy their, whatever sport interests them and to give it a chance. Um, And so I do think, like, micromanaging the industry and telling them to not grow isn't the way forward. Um, I think for me, there are other industries that are shrinking that the outdoor industry might be able to take the space of. And in that sense, like going into your next question about what I wanna create or what I see in the future um, is a whole menagerie of things, but I think storytelling with with a different, aspect is really where I see the industry beginning to trend because people are interested in the world around them. Not every single person. There are so many out there that find absolute joy in competition or maybe not even in the outdoors. Maybe they want to ride bikes to be on a trainer and, you know, whatever else they want to do, whatever. if they want to plain air paint, like if they just want to work on, taking a photo outside going for a hike and then painting landscapes inside. Um, I want to create quote-unquote educational materials in the form of storytelling. I think back to what really made an impact on me when I was younger and I think to films like Jumbo Wild um, through Patagonia and I think about 180 Degrees South um, which got picked up by Patagonia. It was kind of done pre them Um, with traveling to new places and it can be athletes that people admire and there can be cool objectives, but I picture films and articles, um, even Instagram captions that are filled with just tidbits of what makes a place special rather than, you know, a two word sentence about bangers or pow or shredding, um, I want to really instill this value of slowing down in sport and it's not a rat race like we didn't get into all these things to be the best at them like all of us got into these activities to appreciate community and appreciate and get outside and appreciate landscapes whether we knew it or not i want all of my goals to really just hit that switch and make people realize that they've been looking at landscapes the entire time they've been outside and they've been making connections. They might just need that one little kick to say write it down, think about it all as a whole like and how you play into that. And so for me that's been been kind of put into real life play um, through writing articles for print magazines um, rather than just race reports. I've been writing about the landscape and the fire history and the history of people there and the geology. Um, I've been working on kind of pushing myself into Instagram marketing to work with companies to kind of change their direction and make them more honest to where they come from, whether that's a binocular company, having a whole ad campaign that's really focused on, not that you just need binoculars for checking out surf breaks, but that you can be anyone and you can go outside with those binoculars and observe things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise, or take an interest in what that bird was, and just expand how much you gain from a trip outside,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, all the way to mountain bike tire companies, thinking about, you know, when people buy mountain bike tires, they usually go into a shop and ask what's best around there, and the employee gives them two tires and says, you know, these will give you good grip, but maybe people care about why. Like if you had a video showing how tire lugs dig into different kinds of dirt or soil on top of hard pack or wet roots and people understood how maybe they don't need to know like the molecular level of water and why things are slick or why friction occurs and is traction is lost all of a sudden, but just seeing the connection between tire and dirt rather than just thinking, you know, I need to be faster. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really just my goals with film and photography writing um, and marketing and design are really rooted in bringing little pieces of environmentalism and community and education to people not by shoving it down their throat but by just injecting it in small ways bit by bit and helping them see themselves as the scientist rather than as a reader and a learner.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, one of the themes that I keep hearing from you is I would describe it like Dylan thinks that the earth and our culture will be so much better off if we were to re-instill a childlike wonder in the people who go outside.
1: I think that hits the nail on the head. I don't think I've ever been cognizant enough to call it that. But yeah, I mean, it is the same as when you're a child, right? Like, yeah, because there's no difference there. Yeah. You
0: know, you're a kid and you dig around in the dirt and there's a worm and you're curious enough to like hold the worm for a matter of minutes, staring as close at the thing as you can to figure it out. And
1: yeah, no, exactly,
0: yeah, and those kind of things, you know, like I think there's a big uprising of information and ideas as to how we teach old dogs new tricks or old dogs old tricks that they forgot, how we teach adults to be the child that they were, how we give adults permission to access the part of themselves that is really, really wondrous, that's really full of awe for the outside world, for the way things really are. And there's a huge emergence in the use of psychedelics and those kind of um, flow state experiences that allow us to revisit this childlike wonder and if anyone listening has experienced you know that a uh, a even a moment even a glimpse of the pure childlike wonder is something that never leaves you it never leaves you it's like you have it forever and it's like as kids sometimes we chase our passions so far that we just we dive in and we just are obsessed with certain things and the duration at which we're obsessed with it is not important i feel like there's a problem in society that we get fixated on the duration that you're going to have a career and it's going to be lifelong but i think that maybe what might help people to have this child like wonder is to allow themselves to do it for a minute at a time, a moment at a time, one walk at a time, one photo at a time. Because I feel like we're beat over the head with the idea that we better figure out what we like, find out how to monetize it, and then hire a coach to run your online business and make six figures. When in reality, I think that the wonder it sounds like the wonder that you have for soil is the same wonder that makes you curious about snow. It's the same thing that makes you curious about the organics that fall out of the tree that become the soil that you dirt, that you ride your bike on, and the snow that you ski on becomes the creeks that you paddle on, and this whole interconnectedness is a realization after you've harnessed this moment of wonder. and you've allowed it to move through your life and not just try to fixate on one exact
1: thing that you're wondrous about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. So, I, think, I think everything you you said there was pretty on the head and, you know, however people want to find that wonder, I'm, I'm all for it. And at, you know, any point in life, I mean, I was so, I can never be more appreciative of the fact that I was able to, or I was given the opportunity and the privilege to be outdoors at a young age, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it matters. I don't, you can be 30, you can be 50 and still get outside and find the exact same wonder. I think it just requires getting out of the rat race that you described about making your passion a job and making six figures and the world's always in a hurry. And, you know, you work a nine to five and you don't have a lot of time. And so you make the most of it to get fit or to you know, get the most Instagram photos and then work on your image. But I think allowing people to slow down and stop mid-ski or stop on their bike and forget about the Strava KOM and just look around them and appreciate a landscape and ask questions makes it all so much more deeply valuable And that's when people start connecting the dots and then looking for answers. That's when people aren't forced to go online to Google things because they've seen, you know, the world's dying They're They go online to try and find answers to things they noticed, or they go to the library and they read books about certain subjects and it only brings up more questions over and over and over again. And that's the whole point. Um, is just to keep on questioning. That's what keeps your childlike wonder alive is that when you admit to yourself, you don't know the answers and you're, you're honestly curious. I think that's what makes everything so fantastic. And just you're bewildered 24 seven, no matter what you're doing out there. The world is the best bewilderment is is really what you're after and I think once you start digging for answers you're like wow look at like I live in California and we could talk about climate and droughts and stuff but no matter what the climate is snowpack on average usually provides about two-thirds of the water for California that's a that's a huge thing and I doubt that most people really think about that they think about snow in the Sierra Nevada and they're like oh I could go skiing up in Mammoth or up in Tahoe because that's not where the huge population centers are the population centers are often by the ocean or in the Central Valley. Um, and they don't think about that snow as what drives their food and what drives their you know rivers to come down for fishing in the Sacramento, or that's what drives the salinity of the Delta of San Francisco. Um, that's why that whole ecosystem is the beautiful way it is, is because it relies on that snow. And so it goes beyond just seeing small things and connecting things in small places, but going online and realizing larger scale networks and understanding that, Hey, that water plays into the farms and my food. And, you know, thinking about buying locally and lessening your impact, it, it just translates from you went and rode your bike to you went and rode your bike and appreciated what was around you and took a moment to breathe and learn something and ask questions. And you might change behaviors so tangential to riding bikes that, you know, makes a profound impact on your life, but also on your impact to the planet. I think that's really, really the goal. Hmm.
0: That's a good goal. That's a good goal. (laughs) So if we are to, or I guess I'm curious as, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, you kind of mentioned how, education wasn't all about reading books and memorizing facts yeah and i feel like there was almost a connection with what you were saying between what you experience as science what how you use that in your life and this childlike wonder that we've come to start talking about and i Would love to hear if you think there's a connection between what you experience and use as science and what the wonder is. Because obviously, I think that a person like you, you do soil samples and water samples, looking for microplastics and all kinds of these different things, and you have a long history of understanding these different ecosystems in a way that when you get curious about something, it looks very different. When you get curious about something, you might know what to be looking for. But I think that the other you know, for the vast majority of us, when we're curious about things, we like finding heart-shaped rocks. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, I would love to hear what you think the connection between childlike wonder and air quote science is.
1: Yeah, totally. So, when I talk about science, yeah, like I I love the, the quantitative, you know, the mathematical analytic side of samples and thinking about Population dynamics and stuff, but that's really not what science is. You know, that's that's uh, theories and and facts and numbers. I think science, at its root, is is thought. It's questioning. It's critical thought. It is the ability to formulate hypotheses about something. Science isn't really. It doesn't need to be answering those hypotheses with a with a number, because at the end of the day those numbers don't matter a lot of the time. I think that the larger scale qualitative, just kind of general ideas as to how things relate are what people can better understand. It doesn't require knowing statistics or knowing exactly what kind of rock that is. If that interests you, that's cool. Take along an Autobahn guide to geology or take along a mushroom guide or take along, you know, a birding guide, I think that people can find immense passion in those things. And I'm guilty myself of knowing very little about mushrooms, but sometimes carrying an Autobahn mushroom guide and picking something up and flipping through a book and trying to figure out what what it is just for the sake of figuring out what it is and understanding like, well, maybe this mushroom grows here because of the climate or because of, you know, some animal that also lives here and it only grows in its poop. Um, I think that, really everyone has the ability to ask questions and think critically and like what you're saying with the heart-shaped rock you're out there looking for a heart-shaped rock or some cool thing in the landscape and being like wow why is this here dig deeper like beyond finding that cool heart-shaped rock why is that rock heart-shaped like i think when you ask someone that there's probably pause because they don't know and it's easy to use that rock as a skipping stone and send it across the lake but it's feasible to ask those questions and ask why the rock is shaped like that. Mm-hmm. Or why do all the rocks look the same in this riverbed? Because they come from a geology that might be the peaks, or it might be rocks that have been eroded millions of years before and literally used to take up the space that that the sky and the air above you fills now.
0: Mm.
1: And I think just if people were given those little bits of facts so crazy that you're you just don't understand like yeah facts are crazy you can't
0: help but be curious
1: yeah I mean like when I take people out and we ride and they might be stronger than me they might be faster um, they might be more talented than me but I see the exact same reaction the grand majority of the time when we stop and we look at a viewpoint and I use my hands to show where the geology used to be and there were rocks like kilometers into the sky or a glacier that used to fill that was kilometers thick. And that's just not something people think about because it's just the sky, it's just a space. But there's so much dynamicism to earth as a whole and to ecology that when you do notice something odd, it's so easy to you know, put it in your back pocket or say, hey, that's cool. But encouraging people to take the next step and be like, well, why is that cool? Like, what makes it cool? That's, that's really what I want to see more of. And I think that the industry right now doesn't encourage that in a sense, like the science feels so far away from everyone. It feels like it's a exclusionary field where only scientists are allowed to ask questions and answer these questions. But that's not true at all. Like, you're allowed to collect data, you're allowed to you know, take a notebook with you. And when you go ride trails in one valley, note the color of the rocks or the size of them or, you know, the type of trees and do the same for somewhere else and start to realize why places are different. And you can Google it. You can look it up and read more and that's just as valuable. But I think that's what drives, it should drive the curiosity of everyone is less so this need to make the most of your free time by being rad and by shredding and you know copying those sick pow turns or those that backflip off that cliff and maybe show that like hey those ski athletes they're digging pits and they're trying to understand the world around them and maybe they are curious about things i can't tell you a ski film where someone talks about history or like a local culture or um you know why they're skiing a certain line because of the snowpack and because of the wind I can't think of a mountain bike film where people talk about the soil and why a place, like why are trails so steep in one area? Why are trails so sinuous? Why are there huge huge berms in one area? Why do the trees go so tall? Like the landscape and the ecology and the geology and the climate drive everything. Like they are the reason for, that every place is unique and that you can find special things. And all it takes is, people realizing that it's cool to appreciate those things and it's worthwhile to appreciate those things and that they're capable of appreciating those things.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that everyone is capable of having that, that wonder, that appreciation, that gratitude. And I think that is a vastly undervalued thing. There was something that you said early in our conversation about how there is a, an inherent value in all these places but typically it gets downplayed to its utility that it's close to my house and I can in two hours I can ride my mountain bike eight miles or whatever you know like this, like utilitarian covering that these intrinsic values have over them in our eyes and I think that when you talk about a childlike wonder and why that is important, it also makes me I, you know, I wonder, okay, why is it that people grow up to lose that? What is it about our society that stamps that out of people? And I would beg the idea that We are living in such an authoritarian structure that our parents have authority over us and our society has authority over us that we defer our childlike wonder from a very early age and we lose that. And I think that that might just be one part of it or it might be a big part of it, but... I guess I don't have any answers, but having this conversation with you makes me wonder why Why have we lost this childlike wonder and how do we get it back? Because the rocks are the way they are and even understanding them in a holistic way is a huge undertaking. And so I think that if we are to achieve the steps that or the, the goals that you talk about that people the everyday recreators and the people in everywhere all the time are in a state of awe and wonder and curiosity more often. It makes me wonder, why are they not? And so I think that that's my biggest inquiry that I'm going to take away from this conversation with you. I think you're totally right that there's a lack of wonder and it makes me curious as to why that is and what can we do about that? I think you're right that telling stories that encompass a bigger picture more than just an incredible athlete doing something new, doing something novel, but rather deep and meaningful stories that encompass culture, cuisine, history, ecology, hydrology, all of these things, I think that is a really good place to start. That is definitely something that is tangible that you are totally capable of achieving in your career. I think you have all the tools that you need to do that. So I am excited to, help, to hear your story and your goals and to send it out there to the listeners on this channel and further. And I want to encourage you to, to keep on that and stay curious you're gonna kill it
1: man i really appreciate that and that was a really beautiful summary of kind of yeah sometimes i get lost in all the thoughts and sometimes jargon and thesauric words but i think that is really the root of everything and that was a beautiful summary and i appreciate the kind words and i really do feel passionate in seeing other people get the most out of their time and appreciating the world for its natural value. And I'm stoked to, you know, I've known you for long enough to to know that you have that childlike wonder. And I'm stoked to talk with you further about it and maybe work on some projects to get other people thinking about it too.
0: Yeah, I would love that. That's a great place to lead off. I really appreciate your time on this and look forward to seeing what you come up with here in the near future and I definitely want to be a part of it
1: oh yeah absolutely no we'll get it we'll get some cool stuff up in bend and around the sisters volcanic system and some really special snowpack
0: sweet thanks so much dylan
1: cool man yeah definitely
0: see ya